We never outgrow needing the Lord. Amen? Every day, every hour, every moment, we need Him. Take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21, and we're going to begin reading in verse 15. Acts 21, verse 15 through 25 this morning. Would you stand with me in honor and reverence for the reading of God's word? Acts 21, beginning in verse 15. After this, we packed our things and left for Jerusalem. Some believers from Caesarea accompanied us, and they took us to the home of Nason, a man originally from Cyprus and one of the early believers. When we arrived, the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem welcomed us warmly. The next day, Paul went with us to meet with James, and all the elders of the Jerusalem church were present. After greeting them, Paul gave a detailed account of the things God had accomplished among the Gentiles through his ministry. After hearing this, they praised God. And then they said, you know, dear brother, how many thousands of Jews have also believed. And they all follow the law of Moses very seriously. But the Jewish believers here in Jerusalem have been told that you are teaching all the Jews who live among Gentiles to turn their backs on the laws of Moses. They've heard that you teach them not to circumcise their children or follow other Jewish customs. What should we do? They will certainly hear that you have come. Here's what we want you to do. We have four men here who have completed their vow. Go with them to the temple and join them in the purification ceremony, paying for them to have their heads ritually shaved. And then everyone will know that the rumors are all false and that you observe the Jewish laws. As for the Gentile believers, they should do what we already told them in a letter, to abstain from eating blood, food offered to idols, from consuming blood or the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this journey of Paul as uh, the acts of the Holy Spirit, as he works through the apostles. Father, we've come to this place of, of Paul returning to Jerusalem. We pray that this episode in the life of the church can teach us much about how we as believers are to uh, live uh, when we face situations uh, similar to what Paul did. God, we thank you and we praise you for your word. We pray that it would strengthen us today. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. You may be seated. It'd be nice... If everything that, uh, that we experienced in this life was simply based on our actions. If uh, we did good things and those things were recognized for the good that they were, and if we did bad things, those things were, were recognized for the bad that they were, and that, that there was really a, a, a one-to-one, uh, an, an exact correlation between what we've done and said 
and what others believe about us. But that's not the reality of the world we live in, and it never has been. Paul comes back to Jerusalem from a long journey, a long missionary journey. This is his third and final major missionary journey, uh, at least the, the last journey that he'll take uh, as a free man. At least it's recorded in Scripture because the rest of what we're going to hear about in the book of Acts has to do with him getting to Rome, but he's not freely going. Uh, he's going according to God's will, but he's going uh, <clears throat> in chains. He's going, going to be going as a prisoner of the Romans. But Paul comes back after ministering, not only preaching and teaching, but suffering for the gospel, of going far above and beyond uh, what many folks would consider a normal Christian duty. And it would be nice to think that in such a circumstance, in such a situation, that Paul would have been returning to Jerusalem with a parade ready, a celebration in his honor. Here is a great man, a great believer who's gone around the world, and, and, and he has shared the gospel with the Gentiles, and we want to welcome him back. Wouldn't that have been a nice thing to happen? But it's not what happened. In fact, when Paul gets back into the city, he finds out uh, that... There's not going to be a parade in his honor. In fact, there might be a riot in his honor if things don't work out just well. He goes in and meets with James and the elders of the church at Jerusalem. And by the way, this is an interesting development that we've kind of seen over the book of Acts where in the beginning it was the apostles there, uh, Jesus, uh, the eleven minus Judas, and then they elected another one, a twelfth, to take his place. And, and those apostles kind of were the leaders in the church. And over time, we see James, not the apostle James, because he's already been uh, martyred, but James, the brother of Jesus, the one who wrote the letter of James in our Bible. We see his place of prominence rises up to where he's up on a level with Peter and the other apostles. And now when we come to this place... The other apostles are not even mentioned. Uh, probably this is because at this point they had left the Jerusalem church and had gone off. We know Peter ends up eventually in Rome. We know Thomas ends up in India. We have traditions about various apostles and where they went. So the leadership in Jerusalem church at this point is James and the other elders. And so they come back, they meet with James and these elders, and, and Paul kind of gives a report, he and his co-workers who are along with him, and says, here's all the things that have gone on. And James and the other elders, they say, praise God, brother, that's great, that's wonderful, people are coming to Christ. And, and they go ahead and say how great that is. But as soon as they finish saying that, they say, now, we got a little issue that we need to talk about. We've got a problem that we need to deal with. Here's what's going on. The believers, now listen, this is interesting. Not unbelieving Jews, not just unbelieving Jews, but the believers, the Jews who, for them, Christianity was not uh, going into a new religion. Christianity was following their Jewish faith to its logical outcome. They had longed for the day that God would send his Messiah. And they hear the message about Jesus. They realize the Messiah has come. And so they are very faithful, Jesus-loving, Christ-following believers 
who still practice their Jewish ways. They haven't jettisoned Judaism. They have embraced Christ. And so all of these believe, Jewish believers like that, James says they've been hearing a, a report. They've been hearing a message that's been going around, and it's not a good message about you, Paul. And the message was that basically Paul's a troublemaker. Uh, maybe even it might not even be too strong to say Paul's a heretic to the Jewish people because what they're saying is Paul went around and he's telling Jews who don't live in Jerusalem that they can forget all about being Jewish. They don't have to circumcise their little boys anymore. They don't have to pay attention to anything in the Jewish law. And basically, he's destroying Judaism. He's destroying the Jewish nationality. Now, that's a perversion of the truth. The reality was that, uh, that Paul's big fight was, you know what? You're not going to make people become Jews to become Christians. All these Gentiles out there, they don't have to be circumcised first to be saved. They don't have to go through all the steps to, to become a Jew to be saved. They simply have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith, just like for everyone else. But he was certainly happy and he was fine for the Jews who embraced Christ to continue in their Jewish culture and heritage and practices. That didn't bother Paul. But someone has gone in and stirred up this rumor about Paul, has, has, has stirred the pot, has made all this trouble for him. We find ourselves in situations like that in life, don't we? Where we've, we've done everything that we knew to be right. You know, we, we've, we're just kind of doing the right thing. We're trying to help people. And all of a sudden we turn around and it's like, whoa, where did this come from? People are attacking. I'm doing good, but people are attacking me. People are talking about people. People are putting me down. People are misunderstanding me. They're making up things either about my actions or about my intentions. How do we deal with that in life? How important is reputation for us as believers? As we think about these rumors that we're spreading, and again, you and I at some point in our life, to, to a greater or lesser degree, we deal with rumors, we deal with gossip. How do we handle this as believers? And what value should we put on our reputation? It's an important question for us because I, I've, I've known some people who say, I'm a Christian, I don't care what anybody thinks. I just, you know, I please God and that's all. And so I can be as offensive as I want to be. I can tick people off. I don't care about other people. I just care about God. Then there's other people who say they worship Jesus, but they feel seem like, more like they worship man. Because they say they're believers, but they spend all their time not trying to please God, but trying to please everybody else and make sure that every other person isn't somehow offended. Where should we be? Should we be on one of those extremes? Should we be somewhere different? Let's think about what, the, what God's Word has to say about this. The first and most important thing for us to realize is that character is king character is king. If you and I are considering our reputation, we've always got to go one step further and realize the most important thing is not what's said about us, but what we've actually done. Uh, there's an old saying that uh, reputation is valuable, but character is priceless. Character is who you are when nobody's looking, but guess what? 
God's always looking. So in other words, character is about who you are in God's eyes. That is ultimately the most important thing that you can do as a believer is make sure that you're worshiping, you're pleasing, you're living for an audience of one, and that is God in heaven. He is the one that you live your life for. Ultimately, he's your first consideration. He's your top priority. We, we are, are never going to be a place where people are going to see us accurately like God does. Remember when the, the prophet Samuel went out to anoint a new king of Israel, and God told Samuel, you go see Jesse and all of his sons, and uh, one of them's going to be the king. And he sees Jesse, tr- hears the word, he trots out this fine selection of young men, and uh, Samuel says, oh yeah, they look good. I think one of these guys will make a great king. He goes to the oldest one, looks him over. Oh yeah, that'll be great. God says, no. No, 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 no. He's not the one. And on down the line, he checks each and every one, and they all look fairly kingly. You know, maybe not as much as the oldest one, but he keeps on going, and he runs out of sons. He says, Jesse, you got any more sons? Well, yeah, I got the youngest one. He's out tending the sheep. You don't want to see him. I've got all these fine older boys. And, of course, it was... uh, God had chosen David over all the older brothers, all the other ones who seemed more kingly. And God spoke to Samuel and said, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. God is the only one who's accurately able to assess not only our actions, but our motivations, the inner desires of our heart and of our mind. And so the number one thing that you and I ought to think about when we're considering our reputation And all of us have to deal with it at times. Maybe you're like, huh, this doesn't matter to me. It'll matter. You just wait. (laughs) Give it a week or two or a month or two or a year or two. Some some point, somehow, you're going to be talked about. And all of a sudden, it's going to matter to you. How do you deal with it? Number one, remember that character is king. Remember that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, as the Proverbs say. Not the fear of man. We have to have character. We have to do right, what, do what's right in the sight of God before anything else. But having said that, the Bible never says that our reputation isn't important. Character is the, the most important, but reputation is very important. Proverbs 22.1 says that a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. In other words... A reputation is extremely valuable. It's extremely important. And there are times and there are places when we do have to fight for our reputation. In this particular instance, uh, James and the other believers, they had a plan for Paul. They said, we know you're doing right, but all these other people don't know you're doing right. And so we want you to do this, and we think this is going to help. And what they said is basically there's some young men who've gone, they've made a vow, and they're at the end of their time of this vow. And by the way, these vows, these were like extras in the the Hebrew uh, Jewish religion. This wasn't uh, like a required thing. This was like an extra on top of the normal stuff. And, And they said, you go with them to the temple, and you participate with them, and you even pay uh, for their part. 
and, and having this ritual completed. And then everybody is going to know that, that you aren't like all these troublemakers are saying, but that you really do honor and respect our Jewish heritage. And you know what? Paul understood that the most important thing was not traditions or rituals. It was Christ was the most important thing. But Paul also understood that reputation is important for the unity of the church. And this is the second point here. Reputation is important for the unity of the church. There are times and places when we have to be very concerned about our reputation because we care about other believers. Not because we're worried about ourselves and what people think of us in terms of, oh, well, they may not like me or I might not be popular. No, that's not the point of our reputation. The point of our reputation is, number one, here we see in this, this point, is that it's about keeping the church unified. I've, uh, <clears throat> I've been in church long enough to realize that there are right decisions that are done in the wrong way. And, you know, there's probably more trouble comes about in churches for those right decisions done in wrong ways than for when wrong decisions are made. There's a lot of times when we can say, I'm right, I know I'm right, and this is the way it's going to be, and we can force our way. We can say, I don't care what they think. I don't care about their concerns. I know I'm right. But that's not of God. That's not of the Lord. That's arrogance, not humility. And God talks us about us always being submissive to one another, about yielding ourselves, about the unity of the brethren. It's very important. You know how easy it would have been for Paul to say, wait a minute here. You sat here in Jerusalem. You sat here in the middle of the Jewish nation, and you've kept on praising Jesus, and I'm glad that you've all accepted Jesus. But who's been out there in the world among the pagans who worship Aphrodite and Zeus and all these other, and who's put their neck on the line? Who's been whipped and beaten and, and stoned and had all this stuff? I'm the one. I shouldn't have to bend at all. You guys ought to be bowing down to me. Don't you know that if he had any little bit of inkling of the flesh in him, <laughs> he had to feel that way. He had to think that at least for a moment. But Paul realized that his uh, service to the Lord, his devotion to the Lord, meant a devotion to church, to the believers. We've disconnected that in our day and age. There are people, uh, there are millions of people, not just a few dozen, a hundred, thousands, but there are literally tens of millions of people in our country who claim that they are believers, and yet they have no official affiliation with the church. And we're not just talking about people who are homebound uh, or people who have maybe moved and it's been a month since they moved and they haven't found a new church yet. There are tens of millions of people in this church who do not understand that Christ is the head of the church and the church is the body. And if you disconnect yourself from the church, then you're disconnecting yourself from Christ. I'm not talking about a particular denomination. I'm talking about the church as a whole. It's important. The Bible tells us that Christ died for the church. He loves the church. The church is his bride. Do you think you're going to be friends with a guy if you come up and say, hey, you know what, your, your wife is fat and ugly, but I like you. We're, we're good buddies. That wouldn't work too well. 
But yet, there are so many people who say, oh, I believe in God. I love Jesus. We have this special time together. And I hate the church. Bunch of stinking sorry hypocrites who, you know, they're, they're no good and they're fake. And they're, they're, oh, it's just all a shame. But I love Jesus. There's a lot of folks out there like that. I'm telling you, they're all over the place. I talk to them all the time. Hey, I'd love for you to come to church. Oh, well, me and God, we kind of have our own little thing. No. No, 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 no. You don't insult the bride of Christ and then say you love Jesus. If you love Jesus, you love his bride as well. And Paul loved the church because he loved Jesus. He loved the church. And just as the stonings and the, all of the trials and everything else Paul went through were part of his sacrifice for the Lord, so was him humbling in himself and saying, you know what, even though I know what I, that I've done what's right in God's sight, I'm going to do whatever is right right now as much as possible. I'm going to do what's right in the sight of man as well because I love the church and I wouldn't dare come in here and try to tear up the church. So you and I, first we put character at the top. And then we think about reputation, number one, we value it for the unity of the church. And number two, we value reputation for our witness. We value or regard reputation or protect it, however you want to say it, for our witness. The apostle Peter, in his first epistle, he wrote, Take pains to do what is right in the sight of all men. That's in 1 Peter 2.12. Look what he says here. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. In other words, you know what? Live right. And even if those pagans, if they, if they can't uh, accept it right now, if they don't become believers, guess what? On the day Jesus comes back, when every tongue has to speak the truth, when every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord, guess what they're also going to confess? They're going to confess that these believers who I scorned and I mocked and I ridiculed, that they lived righteous lives. But guess what? While that might be a nice vindication, the Bible tells us that the way we live towards outsiders, that we are to be aware of it. Again, we live to please God, that's our priority. But we are to be aware of our character, of our reputation among unbelievers. Because obviously if they think we're crooks, if they think that we're hypocrites, if they think that we're just fake, then they're not going to listen to the message of the gospel. You and I have to live in such a way that we can connect with people Paul said it like this. He said <clears throat> to the Jews, I am as a Jew. To the Gentiles, I'm, I'm a Gentile. I have become all things to all men in order that I might save some. In other words, Paul's saying, not that he's fake. He's saying, you know what? I do whatever I can to connect with people. I find a common bond with all different types of people. Whatever it takes, I work really hard to develop a good relationship and rapport and reputation with unbelievers so that 
just a few of them will become Christians. I know they all, won't all become Christians. I can't get mad and upset and angry because everybody I witness to doesn't become a Christian. But if I live my life in the right way, some of them will believe. And there'll be some folks that would be eternally separated from God who are instead eternally with God in heaven because I've lived my life in a way that honors Jesus. Rumors and gossip, they hurt and they sting. And we're real tempted sometimes to strike back, just to jump back and say, oh, you thought that was a zinger? Wait till I zap you. <laughs> I'm going to get you back twice as bad. But that's not what God's word tells us to do. But what we can do is make sure we're living right, that our character is where it needs to be, and that for the sake of unity in the church and for the sake of unbelievers, we do our very best to live lives, to have a good reputation, to build the church, to reach unbelievers for Jesus Christ. And then we pray that God will give us the grace to go through those tough times knowing that he knows, even if nobody else sees or knows or understands, God knows, and that will comfort and strengthen us in those difficult times we face in life. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, <clears throat> Lord, it's tough for us to admit, but Lord, there's times when people are angry for us or talking about us, and God, it's for good reason, because we've done wrong. And that's hard for us to admit, but Lord, I pray uh, that today, Father, uh, first of all, you would open our hearts, humble us, and God, in times where we've failed you, uh, where we have harmed or wronged others, would you prick our consciences, make us tender so that we would know when we need to go uh, to others and and ask for forgiveness. But Lord, when we're in situations where, God, we, uh, we know we've done right, and yet it's being spread that we've done wrong. When we are hurt by gossip and slander and rumor, Father, give us grace to forgive and give us the strength to keep on living to do what we can, what is within our control, uh, to have a Christian reputation. But, Father, most of all, to know that we please you, that our character is right. And, God, help us to remember that we can't do that on our own, but only through the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, give us more of your Spirit. Draw us closer to you, we pray. And bless now this time that we have together. In Jesus' name. Amen.